Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Good morning. Peter, thank you very much for reading for us. If you have a Bible handy, do turn back to that first reading from John chapter 14. It's on page 1082 of the Pew Bibles, just in case you've closed it. And as we turn back to John 14, let me pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful, famous words written to your followers, words of great comfort. Uh, We do pray this morning that you'd help us to understand them and to believe them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lorna and I have only ever been camping together once, and it was a complete disaster. We went to the south of France, and it rained almost every day. It was cold. Our airbed used to deflate at night, and we'd wake up with our feet above our heads in the morning. And um, we seemed to have pitched our tent on an earwig nest, because they were absolutely everywhere, inside and outside the tent, crawling around. And um, there was even this strange bird that would um, start calling out around dusk, and we'd go all night until morning. Uh, we called it the, the snore bird because it made a noise that sounded like someone snoring. Um, we have no idea what the bird was, but the point is, it was snoring and we were not all week. And uh, we were exhausted. So as we drove all the way back up from the south of France, I remember saying to Lorna more than once, I can't wait to get home. It is good to be home, isn't it? To be back to a place of rest and peace and belonging. And of course, it doesn't have to be a camping trip. Every time we close the front door and head out into a new day, we don't know what lies ahead of us, what will happen to us that day. And often, living in this broken world, what will happen to us will be difficult. Maybe it's just the the hassle of endless errands. Maybe it's the prospect of a long day at work, where there are just too many things for us to do, all coming at us at once. Uh, Maybe we'll be treated unfairly by a friend, Maybe there'll be a trip to a hospital for a hard meeting. Maybe we're just tired and the effort to catch the bus and get underway with the day is just exhausting. Maybe for some of us, it's the sheer boredom of our routine. And it's the disappointment that our life has boiled down to this particular routine. Here we are, we never thought it would be like this. And yet here we are as we close the front door, heading out to a new day. And for all kinds of reasons and more, after a long disappointing, frustrating, hassly day, we do long, don't we, to come back somewhere where there's rest and peace, to open the front door, to close it, lock it, and, and collapse onto the sofa and be free from hassle and from stress, to belong somewhere. We long to be home, don't we? Of course, even the best front door, the safest house, can never lock out the troubles and sorrows and insecurities of living in this world And I know that mentioning home here for some this morning, well, home is a hard place. And we long for it to be a place of peace and security, and it's not. Our reading from John 14 this morning is all about how to get home. And the kind of home that we're going to think about this morning is a home that is free and safe and beyond the stresses and strains and troubles and tears of this broken world. As we pick up the story in John 14, you might remember from our series in John 13 and 14 that uh, it's Thursday evening. 
by Friday morning, Jesus will be dead. And his disciples are reeling from the news that their great leader and hero is about to leave them. And their world has collapsed around them for they had placed all their hopes and dreams for the future onto him being with them in the future. And we can't blame them, can we, for thinking this way? Who wouldn't want a a powerful, miracle-working Messiah to have just next to you in life? It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to worry about the NHS, waiting times, or political uncertainty, or financial problems if you had a person like Jesus side by side with you every day. And yet, when Jesus says that he's about to leave them, well, their plans and dreams for hope and security are in shatters, are in tatters. And that's the context for our reading this morning. And the context for our famous words, verse 1 of John 14. Jesus says to his scared followers, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And we are bound to wonder how can Jesus say that? In fact, how dare Jesus say that to people who are reeling from genuinely terrible news? Uh, The words sound almost unbearably trite, don't they? Imagine if, um, I don't know, imagine we've just lost our job or our marriage is on the rocks or a loved one is um, profoundly ill and we're grieving perhaps the imminent death and someone comes to and say to us and they say, well, don't worry, just trust God and it'll be fine. We'd want to scream, wouldn't we? they wouldn't understand what it's like to go through that kind of trouble. And yet I wanted to see that when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, this is not some throwaway comment from someone who doesn't get it. But rather when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, he knows exactly what his disciples are going through. This is not some trite platitude for Jesus. And I say this because the word that we have For troubled in John 14 verse 1, that word troubled is a word that is used of Jesus himself. He too is troubled. If you have your Bibles, just flick back one page to John chapter 12 to an episode that happened just before our reading, just a little bit before, John 12 verse 27. And here are the words of Jesus. He says, now my heart is, do you see, troubled, same word. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is troubled because he's looking forward to the very soon event that will take place. His hour, that is his death on the cross. It's the moment when all of God's anger will be turned on Jesus and he will die a, a guilty sinner in the place of people like us. And as he thinks about that moment of agony, his heart is troubled and we can understand why. It is horrific what he's about to endure. And so he says, Father, save me from this hour. Do you see, he's troubled. But he continues, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In other words, he entrusts himself into his father's hands. He continues with the plan and he does indeed go to the cross But he has experienced trouble, Jesus. He understands what it's like to have a troubled heart. 
And so back in John 14, verse 1, when he says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, he understands what it feels like to be in turmoil and scared about the future. And he asks his disciples to do nothing more than what he is doing himself when he says, trust in God. For Jesus himself is clinging on to the promises of his heavenly father that he will keep him through his death and into resurrection glory. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. But these verses aren't just a matter of empathy. They are wonderful. Jesus continues, trust in God, trust also in me. And for the rest of our time this morning, I want to to unpack why we can and should take our troubled hearts and trust in Jesus with all the heartaches and pains that come with living in this broken world away from our true home. So if you're taking notes, don't be troubled first. Jesus is departing to prepare our home. Look at verse two. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. This is a picture of heaven. Heaven is like a house. It is a home. It is a place of safety and of rest, a place of love and belonging. And as much as we might enjoy our earthly homes, this spiritual home, this heavenly home, it's better. It is a home beyond tears, and beyond suffering, and beyond disappointment, and beyond fear. It is a home where we will fit in perfectly and enjoy perfect relationships. We will know and be known without envy or strife or jealousy. It is our eternal home with our heavenly Father. Jesus is departing to prepare our home. Just to be clear, (laughs) heaven is not a building site full of half-built accommodation blocks and Jesus is having to rush back to heaven to sort things out, you know, working out the curtains and fixtures and furnishings, bringing his carpentry skills to bear. That's not the point of verse two. There's nothing wrong with the Father's house. This house is wonderful. No, the focus here is on Jesus preparing our way to the house. It is his departure by the cross and through resurrection glory that's how he prepares our way to the Father's house. Uh, think of a, a child who um, wants to go to a, a good but expensive school and they don't have the money to afford the, the, the fees to go to the school. The school's there, it's a great place, there's even space in the school for the child, but they can't afford the fee. Then imagine that a letter comes to the post, it's from a family friend, and in the letter there is a check which will cover the full cost of the education. That letter prepares the place for the child in the school. Do you see, it makes possible the child to go to the school. The school's been there all along, but the letter is what is needed to bring the child to the school. That's the sense here far more gloriously when we realize that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in the Father's eternal home. There is something very important going on here. Jesus is changing the focus of 
the hopes and dreams of his followers. You see, his followers, the disciples, they do have hopes and dreams for the future. And it's what I call the Jesus stays with us plan. You you can imagine um, if Jesus stays with us, then we're going to enjoy perhaps a whole new golden age of of freedom and prosperity. We'll overthrow the Romans and um, we'll have economic uh, success and there'll be no disease because he can perform miracles. And it's not a bad dream. I can understand why they would live for that kind of dream. But Jesus is saying in verse two, I have a better plan. Uh, Imagine if you would, the kind of person who might live in and around Fullwood. There's no such thing as an average person, but just imagine the the average person living around Fullwood. Um, I think everyone has a plan for their lives through which they hope to achieve some kind of peace and security and belonging. We're humans, that's how we work. So imagine the person around forward, what's their their dream, their plan to achieve that kind of life? Well, it might go like this. They work hard to get a good degree, which will be their ticket into a good graduate job. If they work well in the graduate job, they'll get onto a good salary. And if they get a good salary, they'll be able to um, buy the kind of house they want in the kind of postcode they want. And so imagine for, say, 10 years, they work hard, they save hard, and finally they land here in S10. They get the house they've been longing for. But of course, it's not just a house, is it? Um, They want to enjoy relationships. They they get married to um, their dream spouse. Then children come along, three children probably, and the children grow up to be... um, clever, funny, well-rounded, successful in life, and the family is harmonious, they love each other, and um, life is good, there's a good work-life balance, there's time for golf on the weekends, and um, it's just perfect. Come back from a long day at work, open the front door, bliss at home, close the front door, you collapse in the sofa, you're living the dream of peace and security. Isn't that the kind of dream people have around here? Of course, it never happens that way, does it? Maybe it's the degree doesn't quite happen the way you think, or the job that you get isn't the kind of job you thought it would be. It's actually far harder than you thought it would be, or you work for many years, but the promotion doesn't come. Or perhaps you do get the promotion, you do buy the house, but actually your marriage, it's hard, very hard. Maybe no children come along. Maybe children do come along, but they fight Maybe you come home after a long, hard day at work and there's fighting and quarreling behind the closed doors. I think up and down S10, there are many front doors being closed each night with people sinking into their sofas with hearts that are troubled because their dream that they are clinging to just isn't coming through for them the way they hope and need it to. I wonder if we've ever felt that way with our particular plan for a life of peace and security. And so what is Jesus doing here in John 14? He is wonderfully changing the focal point for all the hopes and dreams of his disciples. He is saying, don't hope and dream in your particular plan for your life. Come and live with my dream. Of course, it's not a dream, is it? It's a reality. Because Jesus has departed to prepare our home. And it is a home which is beyond all the frustrations and disappointments and tears of this broken world. 
And so a good question for us to ponder this morning, maybe at the end of our meeting or over lunch or just on your own as you walk somewhere maybe today, here's a question. What is the dream that we are living for? And how does it compare with the plans of Jesus? Don't be troubled. Jesus is departing to prepare our home. Uh, Our second point is this. Don't be troubled. Jesus will come back to bring us home. Look at verse three. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Some of you may have heard of Mark Ashton. He was a a vicar of a church down in Cambridge. He was a fine Christian man and a fine church leader. He died almost exactly seven years ago this weekend. He died on Easter Saturday, 2010. He had cancer. He knew that he was going to die. And um, as he was preparing for his own death, he wrote a little book called On My Way to Heaven. It's a great little book full of Christian hope. In his final few days, as the cancer took hold, he could only say a few words. And by the end, the last couple of days, I understand, he could just say two words. And he said these words over and over again to anyone who would listen. He said, soon home. Soon home. How could he have such confidence in the face of death? Well, the title of his book was, is called On My Way to Heaven, but the subtitle is this, Facing Death with Christ. You see, Mark knew the truth of John 14, verse three. Jesus says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You see, he faced death with Jesus. He came and took him to be with him. But again, you might be thinking, how can Mark have been so sure that Jesus would come back to take him to be with him? Well, verse three, the, the, the logic is wonderful, isn't it? It begins with a departure. If I go and prepare a place for you, remember that's talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is a very hard thing to do for Jesus, to go that way to glory through suffering. And the point is, if he would do that hard thing first, then surely he will do the easy thing afterwards. The hard thing is to go to the cross and die for us. The easy thing is to bring his children home to be with him. And once we realize that on the cross he has displayed his unconditional love for us, then we know that he won't abandon us. Don't be troubled. Jesus will come back to bring us home. And this is so helpful, isn't it? Because we live in that part of history between the departure and the return of Jesus. If you like, in verse three, we're sort of midway through the plan. The departure has taken place, but he hasn't yet come back for us. And in the middle of verse three, to live in that kind of world, our world today, it's a hard world. There are many reasons to be troubled, is there not? By death and sickness and disappointment and tears. And as we live in the middle of verse three, we might just wonder if he has forgotten about us. We wonder if it's a bit like we were his project for a while. Jesus 
was curious with us and he, he kind of enjoyed being around humanity for a while and he, he enjoyed the project. But after a while, he got bored of the project, humanity, and now he's up in heaven doing something else and he's actually, he's just forgotten about us. Ever felt that way? In the brokenness of this world, waiting in the middle of verse three? But the verse finishes. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Don't be troubled. I love the Lord of the Rings books. I've read them many times, particularly when I was growing up. Um, I guess many of you love them as well. You know the stories, don't you? Um, If you read the whole thing from beginning to end, it's a pretty grim tale. There's so many points along the journey where it just, you want to sort of say, it's too much, it's too hard. You know, a lack of food or betrayal or the orcs or the, uh, the black riders, relentless evil along the way. But if you stick with the story, we all know that Frodo makes it to the mountain and there's a happy ending to the whole story. I've gone back and read the same story again several times. I know the ending, the ending is brilliant but I still read through the story. And as I come to each crisis, one after the other, there's still a crisis, but the way I read about the lack of food or the betrayal or the evil, it's changed because I know how the story ends. I know that this particular crisis won't be the end of the story. I know that it will end well. And for us Christians, as we trust in Jesus, there may be many crises along the way, but if we know how the story ends, it changes how we experience and view each crisis, doesn't it? John 14 isn't calling us to some kind of stoic, stiff, upper lip Christianity where we say life is fine, but inside we're completely broken. But John 14 does give us huge hope because the end changes everything and it gives us a context within which to grapple with our troubled hearts. And so I wonder how often we stop and think about our future. I think it's a good thing to let our imaginations just go for a while occasionally Maybe to think about the moment, verse three, when Jesus does come back for us personally and and we see his face at last. We see his love. Imagine us, perhaps him taking us by the hand and, and, and bringing us into that heavenly home. Imagine seeing others that we've known and loved over the years. Or imagine the first night. Imagine we close our door, our room, And we lie back, not on a sofa, but on our bed. And we lay our head on the pillow. And we know we've made it. We're now in a place where there's no more pain. No more tears or suffering. What a moment that will be. That is our ending. Don't be troubled. Jesus will come back to bring us home. Finally, Don't be troubled. Jesus is the way to our home. I've never been very good at directions. I get confused easily. I still get lost here in Sheffield. Um, (laughs) I can often visualize where I want to be. I know where I am, but I just can't remember the bits in between. And so imagine I'm at Meadow Hall one terrible Saturday and I'm trying to get home. I know where I am and I know I want to leave where I am, but I can't quite think of the steps to get back to here. Ever had that feeling? You know the destination, but you can't quite work the way to get there. 
Well, it doesn't really matter when it comes to shopping in Sheffield, but it, it matters a very great deal when it comes to finding our home in heaven with our Father. And so the words of verse four are so important, aren't they? You know the way to the place where I am going. He's talking about his death and resurrection, Jesus. But as is so often the case, the disciples don't understand what he's talking about. Dear Thomas, verse five, he said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going, and, and so how can we know the way? Somehow, they've, they've missed the whole message all along that this departure is about the cross, that he is returning to his heavenly father. And so comes these wonderful and famous words in verse six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. It is so simple, isn't it? It's so clear And yet so many people miss the point. Jesus has gone by the way of the cross to his father and that way becomes our way. If we trust in his death and resurrection, then we too will follow in his footsteps and be with our heavenly father, enjoying new life forever. I came across a survey just this morning on the BBC website. Um, You can tell what I was doing instead of finishing off my sermon this morning. Uh, uh, the survey was one of those pre-Easter surveys showing, yet again, how few people actually believe in the Easter events. Um, I, I don't know how the survey was conducted or how accurate it is, and yet, even if it's partly true, it's still alarming. According to this um, survey, only 17% of people in this country believe in the biblical accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And amongst Christians, the figure is only slightly higher. It rises to only 31% of Christians believe in the biblical accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the article quotes a vicar who says this, to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. We see this everywhere, don't we? We're being told to grow up in our understanding of these kinds of things. You know, people don't come back from the dead. The cross didn't happen. Um, We're beyond such things now in our modern 21st century sophistication. We understand now because of science and so on that these things haven't happened. They did happen. Jesus is the truth. He is the life. And he is the only way to the Father. His death and physical bodily resurrection. That is the only way. And so the words of C.S. Lewis are surely true, aren't they? As he so often puts it helpfully, he says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus can't be um, a moderately helpful way to the Father. He is the way. And so don't be troubled. Jesus is the way the way to our home. If we have found him to be our way, then go on trusting. There is nothing else that we need. He is all that we need. Or perhaps this coming Easter weekend, as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we have perhaps an invite to give to a friend, would you give it to them? They need to hear about the way to our heavenly Father. Well, as we finish... 
There'll be reasons to feel troubled in this life. The Bible is very clear, isn't it, that we will experience hardships along the way, and we often don't know why. We don't know for how long. And uh, often we cry out, searching the scriptures to understand our particular trials, what is going on, and often we don't have particular exact answers. But the Bible is so very clear on some incredibly important truths. And here in John 14, we will be brought safely to our eternal home with the Lord Jesus forever. Just as we finish, I'm going to read some words from 1 Peter in our second reading we had this morning. And then I'm just going to pause after I read these words and just give each one of us a chance to just to catch our mental breath. Maybe you want to thank God for something particular. Maybe you want to just think through what we've seen from John 14. Maybe you want to talk to God about your dreams and hopes for the future. Just a little moment. I'll read a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Just a moment of quiet. Father, we thank you this morning once again for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that even though he was troubled in heart, anxious about the cross, we thank you that he went to the cross. We thank you that he is now seated in glory, raised to new life. And we thank you that we will see him when he comes. Father, please help us to see where our dreams for our lives are built on flimsy things and would you lift our hearts and our dreams to be centered upon your word and your promises fixed particularly on that day when Christ returns for his own and we pray this in Jesus name amen